Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Built by Us. It's Alyssa and Taylor here. And today we are going to continue our series of celebrating Latinx movement makers all across North Carolina as we celebrate Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes, we're very excited for another round of special guests. With us today, we have Katia Fuentes Bayo, a current UNCA student and a Democracy Summer alum from 2020 who worked in the West. Katia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And we also have Emily Arismendi, a current UNCA student as well, and a communications fellow alum and a former podcast host from the summer of 2021. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be back. We're excited for this conversation and we're excited for our listeners to hear your beautiful voices again. So, Katya and Emily, why don't you first remind our listeners who you are? Um, so I'm Katya. I'm an immigrant from Uruguay, uh, living in Asheville, North Carolina right now. I'm bilingual, Spanish and English, and, and I'm a community organizer here at the Key Center at UNCA with the arts and impact section of it. And I'm also the president of Hispanic at UNCA, which is a Latinx and Hispanic um, organization on campus. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm so happy to be back. So I'm an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. Uh, I also currently live in Asheville, North Carolina. I do a lot here on campus. Uh, I like to consider myself an activist and uh, a spokesperson for social justice. Uh, I'm currently also work at the Key Center as an engagement advisor. I manage, I help manage the social media for the Key Center and also any other marketing um, needs for the Key Center. And then just also help out with any events that we have. I also am on the SGA of UNCA. I'm an executive of campus outreach. I'm also involved in a lot of uh, other extracurriculars such as BSA, Prospanica, and Legacy on campus. So yeah, I just love helping my community. And yeah, thanks for having me. Aren't they just so great? <laughs> I'm so glad that both of you all could come back to join us. Like we mentioned, um, both Emily and Katia have been a part of Democracy NC for quite a while now, so we love them so much, and we're so glad to have them on our team. But our better listeners are curious on, you know, how you even got involved in the first place. You do so much on your campus. You did so much for us over the summer at Democracy North Carolina. So what actually first got you all activated? For me, it all kind of, I always knew I had a passion for social justice issues, um, I just didn't know how to kind of put, you know, my fr- my foot in the door and start with that. So um, I I founded Perspanica with two of my other friends here on campus, um, and that's kind of how I got started to you know build community at a family white institution and um, tackle the social justice issues in our group. Um, and once you know all the Black Lives Matter protests um, started happening, I thought there was more that I could be doing instead of just taking these classes. Um, and that's when the, I thought that Democracy in North Carolina sounded like a really good opportunity to do some grassroots organizing and help the greater Asheville community and kind of um, get a better understanding of what the needs of um, my community is and other 
BIPOC communities uh, surrounding the Western North Carolina area. Yeah, so my experience is pretty similar to Katya's. Um, obviously, as a woman of color, um, I have lived experiences that help me relate to others and apply to my social justice work. And that is the main reason that I do, because I know how it feels to live in a body like this. Um, and then similarly, um, when back in 2016, when Donald Trump was running for presidency, it really like opened my eyes like, OK, there's stuff that we actually have to do. We, we need to speak out because this is a very scary reality that is like among us. And so I, I really thought that that's where I needed to jump in. And similarly, you know, and uh, last year when the Black Lives Matter protests um, are, became like rampant again, I was like, okay, I need to do more. And I began to educate myself more and just become more vocal and, uh, and stuff. And I love to use like social media and other medias and communications to um, do my activism. So that's why I was drawn to Democracy North Carolina's Communication Fellow program because it's like the perfect intersection of what I love, like media and activism and social justice. So, yeah. We love that. And that's why we loved having you here, um, which makes me wonder for each of y'all, you know, Emily, you mentioning that the intersection of social media and activism is an important one for you. What is y'all's personal theory of change in terms of, you know, when you're organizing, whether it be in person or online, what do you find is, is the most critical thing to focus on in order to move people? Um, I think that it's people themselves and kind of seeing, like building that community and like giving people uh, kind of like why they should be interested or why um, or what, you know, this can do for them and their communities. I mostly focus on BIPOC communities. Um, I also have done like educational work with mostly like white people and stuff like that. But um, it's just kind of targeting the community you're speaking to and kind of knowing who you're talking to and how you can get them to be comfortable, you know, doing this work or at least, you know, changing them some things in their life and um, or even just being more educated and more intersectional and in, in how they just live their day to day lives. So people are definitely the the biggest thing for me in, in movement work yeah I definitely agree I would say education is like the root um of it because I feel like ignorance is like really big and people don't know what they don't know so I feel like um education is really important and like that's why um organizations like democracy and see who like inform the public of like these are the bills that are going through right now and these are why they're harmful are important because like I said, people don't know what they don't know. So um, that's one thing. And then so um, I feel like people, people's activism looks different. So I know we did an exercise in our, my fellowship where we talked about like what type of activists we are, like there's healers, there's more vocal people. And so that's how I definitely see like my role is like providing community and healing spaces for people of color. Uh, because obviously, we experience a lot of trauma in our activism and just by simply existing. So I feel like that's a great way to like, for people that aren't as comfortable, like going out and physically protesting or being like a public speaker is that's like a great way to get involved. It's like doing like media work and, you know, getting the word out there and like educating people through like different platforms. Yeah, absolutely. 
I know that kind of like y'all talking about, you all have, you know, experienced kind of organizing online and at the greater level of North Carolina. I'm kind of curious, um, both of you all shared some of the work you've done on campus, Katya, you know, finding Prospanica and both of you all working in the Key Center. What is it like, you know, doing that organizing work on campus? Um, it's definitely different in the sense that you or I am dealing with people from my same age range. And it's easier to find people like in my classes and stuff like that and get kind of like more in my comfort zone because I know people. Whereas organizing outside in the community, I definitely have to get out of my comfort zone, go to the different organizations that I find and seeing like where the people that I want to be a part of these events are. But that being said, it's also hard on campus because a lot of people have a lot going on and they don't see sometimes the need to to add more to their plate, which is completely understandable. And that's also why we need to add those healing spaces that Emily was talking about. Um, I know last year we did um, yoga for racial trauma um, around the end of the spring semester. And that was I know a lot of people felt like that was something that they didn't know that they needed. So bringing stuff like that where if you're a person of color and you don't want to do as much organizing or as much um, of educating people and being vocal to have those spaces to heal. Because I, I think that allowing our communities that have been through so much trauma to go through that healing is just a big part of activism. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's also hard, like at a predominantly white institution to do things like this, because it's like very taxing on people of color, like Katya mentioned to like do that educational work and a lot of times we don't want to but like I know me and Katya are the type of people that like we feel the need to because like who else is like we our hope is that like white people want to go and learn but we know that that's not always the case so we feel like we have to like nudge them in the right direction and it's yeah it's exhausting sometimes like especially like this semester I feel like me and Katya like have had some experiences in classes that are just like really shocking because like UNC Asheville is like known to be this like liberal open-minded campus so that's why it makes it harder to know when people are like racist like it's very like subtle racism and so it kind of like shocks you when it when it hits um so you have to kind of like be ready to deal with that at a, at a predominantly white institution especially when like Asheville that like has this name of being so open-minded but like people still have a lot of unlearning to do so yeah like Katya said it's important to have like healing spaces because not every person of color um, like Katya said, like wants to like educate, like sometimes like we definitely need a break. So having those like community spaces like Prospanica, where you just like paint pumpkins and watch movies and talk about lived and shared experiences is really is really nice at a predominantly white institution, especially. Yeah, I definitely agree. Coming from a PWI myself here at Appalachian State, I just really appreciate the work that you all are doing for the students on your campus. And I know that they appreciate it, too, because like you said, it, it almost feels like if not us, then who? Who's going to do it? And so I'm sure all of those students are as well. But I just want you to know that the work you're doing is really appreciated. I was also thinking about how you said earlier, Emily, that you see yourself as a healer. And, you know, how we talked about the different roles that there are in movement making and social justice. And I want to make sure that our I just point out to our listeners that being comfortable in your role in the social movement is, is important, you know, cause both of you talk about healing spaces and then also like the restorative spaces, like you said, just being able to get together and have fun and relax. Um, we've had conversations about how with people of color, we shouldn't always be focusing on the trauma, even though, yes, we need to 
have spaces for, for working through that, but we also need to have spaces for joy. So I really appreciate y'all pointing that out as well. And that every person in the movement has their place and has their role. Um, you can expand it or constrict it as whatever you need in any given moment. And, you know, you're doing what's right for you. And that's important. So switching gears a little bit to something on the fun side, now that we're bringing up joy. Um, in this series, we've, we've been talking to our guests about, um, you know, their favorite pieces of their culture or, you know, something that makes them feel like home. Um, Manny talked to us about music and he shared with us about um, cumbia and how that's his favorite genre and how it's different from country to country. And last week we talked to Veronica and she spoke with us about um, food. So we were wondering for y'all, what are your, you know, maybe your favorite parts of your culture that you feel um, should be celebrated every day? Oh gosh, there's just so much. Um, and I, I also want to point out that I also grew up um, in Miami part-time. So uh, uh, like I, I am Uruguayan and most of my culture is Uruguayan, but um, living in a city with so many Hispanic and Latinx people, everything kind of got mixed up, which is so beautiful. Wow. Um, but I would say um, one of my favorite things is uh, we have asados um, in Uruguay and it's every Sunday and, you know, you have like family and family friends and you have soccer in the background and it's just like a whole day event. Um, and it's like a lot of different like side dishes and meat and stuff that you can't really get here. Um, and like just the, I was talking to someone today about it, that she's Argentinian and like our, it's really similar. Our cultures are really similar. And just like the smells that like we were just remembering from like our homes and, and just being there every Sunday, um, it kind of brought us back and uh, kind of made me appreciate being able to go back, you know, when I visit um, and go back to my culture and, and it's just something really special to me. So, yeah, I think um, like the people you've talked to music and food, is a big part of like any culture um but it's like latinx and hispanic culture like food and um music are really important like uh for dominicans like we have bachata which is like a romantic like slow dance kind of uh of a dance and music and then like merengue and like obviously we have like reggaeton which is like a newer fun <laughs> style of music um, and obviously like the food is just like so good. Um, like the Caribbean, I feel like has a lot of distinct um, like foods. Um, like we have uh, mango, which is what we like, we eat that for like breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it's like kind of like mashed potatoes, but like it's mashed plantains. Um, and you can eat it with like, we eat it with salami, which is like not, it doesn't look like the American version of salami, but it's like, it's such a good combination. It's like my favorite um, like food. Um, and I was just talking to my mom with, about the other day about sancocho, which is like a soup. Um, it's like has like a bunch of meats and vegetables and like different seasonings and stuff. And it's so good like to eat, especially when it's cold outside. Um, and like, I always get a bowl of rice and just like drown the rice in the soup um, because like the broth is like so good. Um, yeah, music and food. And then like, when, like Katya was saying, like when you have like a family get together, like when all the like every uh, person in the family like brings a different food and then you have the music playing and everyone's dancing and laughing like that's just like 
the best part of, of our culture. So. Oh, I love this question. Thank you both for sharing. Because every time we ask this question, the people that talk just light up about whatever they're talking about. You can see them like start to think about their memories that they're associating with what they're talking about. Like even hearing Katya right now being like, just thinking about the smells really brought us back. I don't know. It just it gives me the feels. I love hearing about all the things that people love about their culture. But I wanted to move on to another question that we're asking everyone. And you know, it kind of kind of ties into this um, question, but we're asking everyone, you know, what it means to be Latinx in North Carolina, thinking about the experiences really different all over the place, growing up in Miami, moving to North Carolina. So, you know, I'm just really curious what it's like for you over here. Oh, gosh, um, <laughs> I guess I am more aware that I'm different. Um, and that awareness started when I moved to North Carolina, um, my sophomore year of high school when I was 16, um, of, you know, you don't fit the, the majority and you don't, um, and you're expected to be a certain way and you're expected to, to like certain things and, and all of that. Um, so it was kind of like, I guess, keep trying to stay true to who I was while also um, losing myself a little bit in what other people thought that I had to be. Um, and, you know, now I'm, I've been here for how long? For about six years. And, um, you know, I found more people that are also Latinx and Hispanic. And, and it, made, it just makes me feel more comfortable with who I am and not who people want me to be. Um, and I, I'm very, very proud, um, that I have been able to stay true to who I am, um, and who I was while also growing, um, and learning from other Latinx and Hispanic cultures, because we're all so different. Um, and just, you know, just, I love being Hispanic and Latinx, but it does take a toll, um, and a lot of work to be confident in that and be comfortable with being different, um, than the majority. Yeah, and like going off that, um, I feel like uh, as immigrants, we're taught to like assimilate to like American culture and like whiteness, you know, and so like as a kid growing up, like that's what I did, <laughs> because that's what I was told that I needed to do. And so like, I would like, try to like, associate myself with whiteness as, as much as possible, which is like really sad. Um, Cause I grew up in like a really small town in North Carolina. And like, I was like raised here. Like I was born in DR, but I came here at a very, very young age. So I was like raised in this small North Carolina town where like my school was predominantly white. Um, and so like, I like knew I was different, but I kind of like pushed that away. Cause I was like, no, I need to be like everyone else so that I'm not seen as different. Um, and so I like would straighten my hair and like, yeah, just like tried my best to not seem different, which is really sad. But, you know, like Katya said a little similarly, like I, um, especially like later in high school and especially in college, I learned to like be more appreciative and more um, proud of who I am. And like, I began like educating myself on like the history of DR and like the, um, yeah, just like what it means to be Latinx and how it, how great of a thing it is and how beautiful our culture is. Um, and especially like this year, I've uh, made a lot of friends uh, of color that have like similar experiences to me. 
um, which is really nice because um, growing up, I didn't really have many like friends of color that had similar um, cultures and stuff. So it's been really nice like coming to a college, even if it is still predominantly white, where I can find a community of people that also have like similar experiences as me. Hispanic and Latinx people like in itself, like it may seem like one identity, but it's really like a very complex, like vast, very interesting, different cultures mixed in. So I feel like people um, may think it's like a monolith, but it really isn't. Like there's different races involved. There's different like countries, cultures, backgrounds, heritages that are all mixed in there. So I think that also like I had to learn that too. And I feel like a lot of like Hispanic and Latinx people have a similar journey that we have to learn. Like, like even though we are like, there are also a lot of things that make us different and we have while well, we have like similar experiences, we also, some of us have very different experiences. So I think that's also, mm-hmm. um, it comes along with being like Latinx in America, growing up where they don't teach us about our own culture. Yeah. And I also wanted to ask something um, that came up. So you talked about assimilation and that reminded me that a lot of times in our community, we use the word whitewashed a lot. Um, to, so it kind of creates like a like a divide or like kind of people, you know, that want to, or feel like they need to assimilate a little more and then they're not accepted in their community because they assimilated too much and things, things that like that, that just happened that, that we also as like, you know, Latinx people need to unlearn. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to add that. Yeah. Thank you for adding that because it's something that I've, I've thought about a lot and I've, don't know necessarily why, but the, the, like the immigrant experience and, you know, children of immigrant experience, like across all cultures, not just Latinx cultures, like you're talking about this tension and confusion between like Americanizing um, and the, you know, assimilation into whiteness that comes along with that and how, you know, it's a spectrum, right? Like people need to make that own choice for themselves about like how much they want to be in touch with American culture versus, you know, their, their family's culture or their heritage. And it's just, and I know that I guess just like seeing it in media about how different people have different perspectives on it. Right. And like, you know, as a child of an immigrant, you can see that like their parents will be mad at them for, Americanizing too much, or just, but it's you know, it could be a self-preservation technique, or it could just be truly what they want. It's all, it's all very confusing. But it's just because everyone's has, you know, it's everyone's personal choice. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people that we've had um, on our podcast for Latin Hispanic Heritage Month have talked a lot about exactly what you just said. It's not a monolithic experience. There's so many different cultures. There's so many different languages. There's so many different countries. There's so many different people in general. And so you can't really create a single experience from that. And that's really important to remember because people do that to the Latinx community. They they put them into this single issue like immigration. That's the only issue when really there's so many different people dealing with so many different issues. And it's it's really just important to remember the, the intersectionality of the community in itself. Definitely. Reaffirming that no one culture is a single issue culture or no one group of people has only one issue that they care about. Um, we are still wondering uh, for this chance to, to lift up to our listeners, if either of you have a specific issue that you want to lift up or anything that you think that our, our listeners should be paying attention to right now. 
Um, I have something a little bit specific to myself and the school um, that actually just happened. Um, so I was in a sorority on campus um, and the only sororities here are um, not for people of color. You know, they're not, there's not like a black sorority or Hispanic sorority or sororities or fraternities for people of color. Um, so I had to join a quote unquote white sorority. Um, and we actually have went through a process of a year where we um, noticed a lot of racism, um, some very blatant racism and some a little more mass. Um, and, you know, we went to nationals and we did um, everything that we needed to do um, to report this uh, or everything that we could do because our advisors were also not helping us. Um, we created a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, which was mostly carried by the five women of color in the sorority, um, including myself. Um, and the, the, how everything ended after a year of having to deal with this and having to carry this weight um, was with the dismantling of the sorority on campus. Um, so it is suspended right now. Um, I think there's two or three members um, that got alumni status um, that were the people perpetrating racism in the sorority. Um, so just, just to bring up that we do have these institutions um, in our, um, I guess, universities and uh, that we just need to be looking at and like paying more attention to um, and how they perpetrate racism and how they're normalized um, in these higher um, education institutions that are supposedly, you know, supposed to be educating people about these issues and supposed to be safe places. And um, it's still a national sorority um, and all the it's Alpha Z Delta. Um, so all they did was gaslight us and everything. So the call to action happened from um, the sisters of color and then the white sisters that realized that what was happening after a year was wrong. So we all dropped the sorority so it couldn't continue um, going. So that was that was a little bit of um, a coming together moment and community and like just showing what allyship is actually about. Um, so, yeah. That is such a powerful, a powerful thing to happen. You all made the decision to actually step down and leave the sorority. Like you said, a, a lesson in allyship, a really powerful statement that you all made by doing that. And that just really shows how much you all live into your values. Yeah. Yeah, so um, mine is a little bit like more broad, but um, I have struggled a lot with like, um, like I was talking about earlier, like identity within being like Latinx um, and what it comes with um, and that intersectionality. Um, and so like during college, I've read more about like uh, Afro Latinx people and like like I was saying, the history of DR and how there was like enslaved people brought to that island, um, which are my ancestors. So it's like learning more about who I am and like my ancestors and my like racial makeup because like all our lives were just told like oh you're Hispanic you're Latinx like you're Dominican and like you're told like your nationality and ethnicity but you're not really explained the difference between like race ethnicity nationality and all that so like I had to have like learned that myself and then like it's just like something that I feel like everyone is trying to learn and deal with and like identity is always is already like hard in and of itself so just like having to learn 
um, more about yourself and like come to terms with like, okay, like this is what like my identity already is. And this is what I like need to add to it. Um, and this is what I can and cannot identify as it's just like really, um, difficult. And I feel like, um, a lot of like, like Afro, like Latinness, I don't know if that's a word is like left out of, of a lot of like Latinx conversations. Um, and so that's like, I'm trying to bring more awareness to that to talk about like, yes, you can be black and you can be Latinx. You can be white, you can be Latinx. Like, it's just like, there's just a mix of identities, um, going on there. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about that because it's something that, I mean, I'm still like learning about, um, and that I'm still continuing to educate myself about, but yeah, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that up too, Emily. I think that's definitely something we talk about on the podcast all the time, just in general, how black women in general need to be involved in more conversations. And so I think it's important to point out the fact that Afro-Latinas are left out of a lot of conversations that they should be at the forefront of. So definitely important to bring both of those points up. So another question that we want to ask you all is, you know, thinking about Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month, it is an American holiday based on, you know, celebrating your culture here in America and what that looks like. And so, you know, what exactly does this, this month mean to you, knowing that it is an American holiday? For me, as you know, the president of Perspanica um, and what my co-leaders and I see it as is kind of a, um, we do, I guess, more things um, during the month, not because we think we value ourselves and our culture more that month, but because um, it's discouraging when you have a, a whole month that's made for you and your school and your community um, aren't doing anything about it. Um, like. UNCA has sent an email out, I think, to like faculty, um, and that's about it. And, you know, when you don't feel valued on a campus, you're not going to feel safe and you're not going to feel in community. And that's going to be really discouraging. So we just want to create more, more things and more places um, for um, to celebrate this month and to feel celebrated and to feel like we are, um, we do have a time that we can say is for, for us, even though um, for me, it's, it's always where well, I'm always going to be Hispanic and I'm always going to be Latina. Um, so it doesn't end at that month, but it is, um, kind of a time to, to celebrate and to make people feel, um, seen. Yeah. And it's like, we were talking about earlier, like when no one else is going to do something like you kind of have to, so like Katya shouldn't be planning events for Hispanic and Latinx heritage month, like the school, like should be providing us with things like so it like doesn't make sense that like we as like Hispanic and Latinx people are the ones like having to like plan events and stuff when like it's a month that's supposed to be for us and that's something me and Katya have been like talking about recently so that's like one drawback um of it but yeah I mean I agree with a lot of what Katya said that it's just um a time to like celebrate yourself more and like really be proud of who you are even though like we live in the identity year round, but, um, essentially it's just a time to like, say like, okay, like this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And I'm going to celebrate with people that are also people that also share this identity with me. But yeah, I just, it kind of sucks that, um, we kind of have to like do it ourselves and like have these events that are like, or at least like plan these events that are supposed to be in a month. that's like for us, like, I feel like we should 
be getting and not receiving. <laughs> and it's also um, like the funding that they give us is not a lot um, to put together these events. Um, thankfully, I we work at the Key Center and the Key Center has a bigger budget than student orgs. Um, so we are able to to throw those bigger events and 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 I'm so grateful for my bosses here that um, do want us to have that money and understand the importance of it. But if it wasn't for that, a lot of the things would be coming out of my own pocket and my co-leaders' pockets. Um, and to me, that's unacceptable when we have a school that spends a lot of money on other things like policing and things of the sort. So um, that's another thing to point out that's important. Thank you all so much for calling that out. We haven't had a, a guest make that point that since this month should be celebrating Hispanic and Latinx heritage, other people should be celebrating you and doing, like you're saying, like you should be receiving um, as opposed to having to be the ones. It's the same thing as the, it feels like the same thing as like, I have to educate you about myself. Um, as opposed to being able to, you should be celebrating me um, while I also celebrate myself in the way that I want to. So thanks for bringing that up. No one else has made that point. I really like that. Especially like y'all are in an institution. So exactly what you're saying, like you have an institution that there are, there are offices on your campus that legit, this should just be like, this is their job, right? Is to like focus on holidays. Like, yeah, we have a new office. Um, that I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know the name exactly, but it is specifically for heritage months. Mm. Um, and I have like, I feel like what they should be doing is reaching out to these student orgs because we have two Hispanic and Latinx student orgs on campus. Uh, and I feel like they, that should be their job. I don't know exactly what they should, they're getting paid for. Um, but uh, I, there's nothing on campus for heritage month, nothing, like not one thing. Um, and everything that's happening is student led. Um, so, and it's also like uh, talking to Alyssa, your point of like how it's like an American thing. Like, it's like they use this like name of like Heritage Month so they can be like, oh, well, we're acknowledging you. So we don't have to like, you get this whole month. So you don't have to, we don't have to like do anything else the, like the rest of the year. Like, we can just ignore the problems the rest of the year. And like, they can be like, oh like we're woke this month out of the year and like you get this month and you get this month like black history month and they like are so performative about like oh we care about you for like a whole month and then they like shut up like as soon as it's over and like don't do anything so yeah there's definitely like a performative aspect of it too um where they're not giving us anything and then they're also like they're not really like using that time to educate themselves or like doing it the whole year which is what they already should be doing like that's the whole reason we have to have it in the first place is because you're not acknowledging and educating yourself the rest of the year so it's not really like yeah they're not really giving much <laughs> yeah i totally hear that i think a lot of our other guests too have felt like the same like it's very much a month that's like it's there it's happening but like that's it like how much can a month mean to me if i know that it doesn't mean anything to you um and so it's just really something to think about. I'm like extra mad at your heritage office that is getting paid for nothing. I even know <laughs> I'm just confused on why you would create an entire office for heritage instead of empowering the entire campus to 
embrace heritage in within their own offices and stuff like that. Like you're like, I need one specific office separate to celebrate heritage. I think it goes back to UNCA being a super performative like university. Very much. Just very, very, very performative. Like that's been the trend. Like even to get Perspanica started, we had to jump so many hoops and we had so many no's along the way. Um, so yeah, definitely performative. Yeah. And it's like, um, it was so great when, um, and it is great that we have a mural on campus that says Black Lives Matter, but then it's like, you're going to like paint the mural on the road, which was also predominantly student-led in the first place like I don't think administration had really much to do with that at all um and then they're gonna be like okay like that means that like we support black lives and that makes us a perfect school and so um you know educated but in reality it's like well you're not really doing like you have like what like five black professors on campus one hispanic professor like they're doing like nothing like institutionally to like actually like reevaluate their like mission like which they stress so much like oh diversity equity and inclusion where like what <laughs> show me please um other than a mural painted on on a road you know yeah adding offices or adding job titles is very dei vibes um, right. <laughs> not actually supporting the people who already exist giving them what they need um and we have a wonderful like we have an office of multicultural affairs with a wonderful director um that like already does so much so like why not like give more to support her and what she wants to do instead of like making more offices that is essentially what the office of multicultural affairs already like does mm. exactly <laughs> this is why college is so expensive fam this makes me upset this is a whole <laughs> other issue <laughs> right well y'all just brought up so many points and now like i said like, just connect to so many different things but yeah, I just want to show my appreciation again for calling out things that need to be called out and not just saying thanks for the little that you're given by society at large. So, and, you know, just bringing back up that Veronica said the same thing last week about how like this month doesn't mean anything if you're not going to draft legislation that actually protects me or enhances my life. So that's really, you know, that would be something that would make this month mean more. Um, if our elected officials could possibly write some better laws, possibly possibly defund the police, possibly do lots of other things that would um, make your lives better. It just speaks again to like the hypocrisy because it's like the America wants to be like, oh, we love diversity. We're like a melting pot yet they like don't want immigrants to come in. Like they want to close the borders mm -hmm. and have these um, cages and stuff. So it's like, which one is it? Like, you can't like all be preaching that you're all for everyone and like a melting pot and welcoming when like you're not at all, or you're going to make immigrants and black and brown people's lives like hell while they're here. So, yeah. And we have like these institutions, like universities, um, Greek life that are like, yes, we want to have more black and brown members, uh, but no, we will not do anything to make these spaces um, inhabitable for you and comfortable for you. We just want to bring them in to show that we have diversity. Mm -hmm. But once once you're in, we're not going to give you the support you need The that differs from what white people need to thrive in these institutions. Um, so it really just goes back to being performative and just wanting those mm -hmm. numbers. Yeah. In your case, what you're talking about, also not not only not supporting you, but actively harming you. Yeah. Um, 
which is just unacceptable. So all that being said, I'm glad that we were able to cover so much together. Um, but I also want to give a last, you know, opportunity. Is there anything that y'all haven't gotten a chance to say yet that you want to make sure that our listeners know, or just any closing thoughts that you think we should leave them on? Um, I just, I feel like, um, we've been a little (laughs) negative, which is fine because (laughs) we need to like call out, um, the bullshit of like these institutions. Um, but on a little like positive note, um, I just want to like talk to like my black and brown, like women and people of color, um, and just say that like you are loved and please take care of yourself and love yourself and celebrate yourself this month and all year round, um, because you deserve it. And, um, please take time to rest, especially if you're an organizer and an activist. Um, while I was in Chicago for fall break, as some of you know, um, I went to a bookstore, um, and it was a, is called for women and children. And it was like a feminist bookstore. And I picked up a book, um, by, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to say the name right, but Prisa Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. Um, and it's called for Brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts, a love letter to women of color. And she writes about like her experience as a, um, Latino woman and like her unlearning process and her educational process and has like chapters dedicated to different subjects. Um, so I highly recommend it if you're a woman of color. Um, and yeah, just keep, um, loving yourself and, um, taking care of your body and your mind. I don't, I don't even have anything to add. I'm just like emotional, Emily. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, just appreciate yourself and your cultures and, and, and other people's cultures and be just, just be a, a human being and be respectful. Um, and just appreciate everything that, you know, everything that goes into just these communities um, and being able to build these communities and being able to, for, you know, us to thrive in these communities. Um, so, yeah. That was beautiful, y'all. Thank you so much. It was. Thank you so much for those words to leave our listeners with. And thank you both so much for coming back to hang out with Taylor and I and sharing a bit of your story with us. You are so inspiring. I know you inspire so many people on your campus and in your community every day. So just thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. It was so much fun. I love seeing you guys again. Thanks for celebrating Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month with us and continuing to create a North Carolina that's built by us. And thanks for listening to this podcast made of, by, and for the people. Yay! Bye! Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at democracync, or you can visit our website at democracync.org.